The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It's the end of the week, and we are here to talk some Cincinnati Bengals to you. Just switching up the schedule left and right for those of you who like the the live show. We're just going all over the place for you, but regardless, we're here. We are talking some Cincinnati Bengals, and you know it's a little bit of a lull in, in the NFL calendar, but we are ramping up for a couple of big, big events and a couple of major marks on the nfl calendar and we're here to talk about a lot of different stuff i'm anthony he's john this is the orange black insider Bengals podcast coming at you on a variety of different platforms whether you're watching us on twitter slash x whatever you want to call it these days the cincy jungle facebook page our youtube channel um or if you're getting it after the fact on your favorite audio streamer whether that's itunes stitcher spotify google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, we appreciate the support john how are you my friendo i'm doing all right man um it was a long Super Bowl on a Sunday night. You know, I'm sure it took a lot of out, out of people going to work that day. And obviously, I think you know we're recording this on on a Friday. It's nice to give people a little little bit of a break as they kind of wind down from the season. But we're back, and the off season kind of gives us news any day of the week. But we got we got something to cover today, so let's get into it. Did you know? Uh, and my my lovely better half told, told me this statistic. Uh, she read it somewhere shortly after the Super Bowl concluded that the Monday after the Super Bowl is the highest call-out day, call-out sick day uh, in the U.S. I guess a lot of the, the tequila flu goes around, I think, yeah. that, that day. <laughs> or the, uh, yeah, the malted hops flu, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that, that, that goes around pretty badly on Monday. That was a long game. I One of my best friends was watching it with me and – Holy moly, I felt really – he's a Niners guy. Holy moly, I felt really bad for him. Um, yeah. Um, I didn't, you know, given given the history between the Bengals and Niners, I didn't feel too too bad about it. 
Um, but still, it felt felt pretty bad, especially since I watched the last one that they lost to the Chiefs with him too. So, um, yeah, You're bad luck. But, you know, I know he probably won't want to watch him with me anymore. But <laughs> and he went with me to the game in San Francisco this last oh, year yeah. for the Bengals. Yeah. So he's probably like three strikes you're out, buddy. I mean, come <laughs> yeah. on. He's like, I'm never watching a game with this guy again. Um, hey, I want to just remind folks too. Shortly before the Super Bowl, we were joined by Ken Anderson. We got uh, quite a quite a bit of likes and views on that on that video. If you are so inclined, you want to give a super chat. Um, you can also donate directly to the Ken Anderson Alliance, uh, and, and we're just pooling those to to send over. We're going to do that for a little while longer for Ken showing up here. The uh, Autism Rocks event is coming up that they are doing. I think this Sunday, the 18th. So. Uh, a lot of auction items as well. And if you bid on something, if you donate directly to them and we don't see it, send it our way. We're going to do something special, a little raffle, give off a prize in a few weeks here for those who support. So uh, thank you for him to thank you to him and the Canada Alliance for him making that appearance. Hopefully you enjoyed that interview and thank you in advance to all of you who decide to support that. Again, if you do not do a super a YouTube super chat or another donation to us that will go to them. Send us proof of a, of a donation otherwise, and uh, we'll get you entered in a raffle and a, and a cool giveaway that we'll do in the coming weeks here. But uh, wanted to remind folks about that. John, we've got a, a little bit of Bengals news, and it's from current slash former players and yet another coaching change among the ranks here. You were literally hammering away at the keyboard right before – we took the air here. Tell us about the coaching, yet another coaching change for the Cincinnati Bengals in an offseason full of them. Yeah, man. So the Bengals have are now having to replace two of their former assistants, one of them being Brian Callahan. They already did that with Dan Pitcher. But Callahan needed a special teams coordinator, so he looked to his former team, who had an assistant special teams coordinator by the name of Colt Anderson. So Colt Anderson, who, again, is the assistant special teams coordinator for the Bengals, will now be the special teams coordinator for Brian Callahan's Tennessee Titans. I suppose this is at least the third assistant hire that Callahan has made from the AFC North, the previous two being Denard Wilson, the former secondary coach for the Ravens, and his dad, Bill Callahan, the former offensive line coach for the Cleveland Browns. Hasn't taken any from the Steelers, but he is taking one from his former team. And I, th I think this is not the most surprising thing considering his familiarity, obviously, working with Anderson over the past four years. Anderson has only coached in the NFL for four years, only with the Bengals. He was a high school coach in his home state of Montana in 2019 after spending, I think, nine years in the NFL, primarily as a special special teams player. So it makes sense for him to kind of make this move and obviously working with, again, someone who is familiar with him and knows him. And, yeah, it, it just makes a lot of sense. So a lot of Callahan's hires, kind of like Zach Taylor, Back in 2019, having to deal with a lot of the networking and the connections that he has previously made coaching in the NFL and just coaching in general. So this is just kind of the next step. So now the Bengals will have to replace Anderson if they do want an assistant for Darren Simmons, who I think is entering his like 23rd season coaching with the Bengals, which is something crazy. But yeah, they still have that position to fill and the assistant linebackers coach position if they want to fill that because that was Jordan Kovacs' spot before he became the safeties coach. A lot of turnover. A lot of turnover, but the one thing that is uh, that Anderson has uh, as a feather in his cap is he learned under one of the best. Darren Simmons is widely regarded as one of the best special teams coaches in all of the NFL, has had a couple of head coaching interviews 
in the past. And I mean, if there's one thing, yeah, there's been some bumps in the road in some special team stuff in his many, many years, like you said, almost a what quarter of a century now with the Bengals, right? This is Marvin Lewis. Like Marvin Lewis brought him on, I think, right when he came on to, to the staff here, or maybe even earlier than that. So um, yeah, I mean, if there's one thing that is largely a word to describe Darren Simmons, special teams unit, it's consistent. He always has really good punt coverage with gunners. He knows he knows how to get that working well. Um, he, you know, they've drafted. I, I know there were some field goal kicking issues with the guys they stuck with veteran-wise in the latter parts of Marvin Lewis's tenure. But, I mean, they drafted Jake Elliott, who ended up being a pretty good kicker. They've drafted Evan McPherson, who's a great kicker. And, you know, they had Kevin Huber as a, as a solid punter throughout many, many years. They've had a couple of hiccups here and there on that front. But, I mean, for the most part, consistent and, and high performance uh, comes from Darren Anderson. And, and Ander, uh, Darren Simmons and Anderson had a hand in that as his assistant, too. So, again, I, I guess it's a little predictable that, you know, once Callahan left, he was going to kind of poach from – Guys and teams that he is familiar with, but uh, yeah, the Bengals are, they added to the offensive staff with a new passing game coordinator and they've, they've supplement, you know, they've kind of given ascensions and promotions from within and a couple of different spots. We talked about that last week, but another spot potentially to fill for the Bengals. Right. So I guess this is technically what, like three, because, because, um, what is his name? Robert Livingston was the safeties coach. He left for Colorado. So this is, I guess, three uh, coaches that they have to replace. Two of them have been internally. I suppose they could replace Anderson with an internal hire. I don't think there's anyone else on the special team staff along with Simmons. I think right now it's just Simmons, so it might have to be an external hire. Or, again, it could just be some type of analyst or assistant that we don't really know of. The coaching staff is, I think, still one of the largest in Bengals history. It became that way when Zach Taylor kind of first put this together. I think it's like 24 or something like that, which is a little bit larger than it was under Marvin Lewis. So, yeah, they're going to have to continue adding to it. Well, with a couple of other moves here for the for the Bengals, and it pertains to a couple of former players going to other football leagues to get their get their shine, so to speak. A.J. McCarron was a little bit of a surprise ad when the Bengals brought him back. And then, of course, with the injury to Joe Burrow, he kind of made his way onto the active roster backing up. Jake Browning ended up taking a, a handful of snaps here as well this last year, did McCarron. But um, you saw him on a couple of coin tosses and stuff, McCarron. But other than that, didn't get a ton of time with the Bengals. It was kind of neat in a lot of ways to see him return, even as a you know practice squad guy, backup guy. But he is now going back to where he had an outstanding run, which was the, what, the USFL or XFL previously. Now is uh, the merger which I think Dwayne The Rock Johnson is kind of spearheading that. As the UFL, he is going back to his old team to try and, um, you know, uh, not only play well, he had a, he, he seemingly had a great time playing, uh, not only because he had a high level of success, but there was a story there, John, where he was kind of talking about his son being able to watch him play a lot. and It was a really neat deal. So, you know, I think uh, while it's not an NFL starting job, it is a starting job and, potentially another audition for him to get another gig in the NFL going forward. I mean, he's setting the example of what backup quarterbacks who don't really have that much of a chance the NFL should do, which is just play while the NFL is in its off season. Nothing else is going on. If nothing else, it's a paycheck, obviously, because these guys are professionals or, and they are getting paid, yeah. but also just for younger guys specifically, because McCarron's like 33, 34 years old. Like Zach Wilson has no reason not to be competing right now in the UFL just to, you know, 
put some quality tape out there if he wants to get another shot or something like that. And so so McCarron, I think it's great what he's doing. He won the MVP last year with St. Louis. I don't think they won the championship, so maybe he's just trying to run it back and, and get that done. But, yeah, it's awesome because he was out of the NFL for, I think, a handful of years, and then he got this opportunity last year with formerly the XFL. But now I guess it's like – I guess the XFL is like the NFC – like in the AFL is like the AFC and it's like the merger like they that they they had in the in the 60s or 1970s or something like that. So it is kind of cool to see another league kind of t- take up on that and and hopefully all the combined resources make it a really cool product because I, I think McCarron is not the only one who can leverage playing well in that league to get a chance in the NFL and hopefully we see some we see some stories like him. So uh, congrats to him and obviously it makes a lot of sense why he was released right before he was about to be a free agent. Yeah, details are a little murky. There's some some saying that he had kind of maybe requested a, you know, a, a release or a, you know, I, I want to go play here for the spring type of thing from the Bengals. Um, and and the Bengals obviously kind of granted that. But, you know, there's obviously no, you know, ill will or anything like that. It was just, hey, it's actually the opposite. I think it's like, yeah, go go right. take take hold of this opportunity here. And so he is doing that. And hopefully he has an, another nice run. in. And like I said, I thought it was a pretty cool story that he got the opportunity to shine, got the opportunity to start. And then, you know, he talked about how his family is enjoying watching him play at a a high level of football and start and play at a high level personally as well. So a pretty cool story there. And then the, the guy who made just the most unbelievable highlight real catches in his time with Cincinnati uh, only ended up being with the team for a couple of years. was a seventh round pick in the uh, late 20 teens, I believe Auden Tate, going to the, uh, the the Calgary team in the CFL. And that is, I, I want to give a tip of the cap to, because uh, it was shot over to us over by thirddownnation.com. They kind of sent us a tweet and uh, I'm sure, I'm sure A to Z Sports and Cincy Jungle are right on top of that, but we just happened to get a direct tweet about it uh, a little bit before taking the air. So I want to give them a little tip of the cap there. But uh, Auden Tate going to the CFL to get his chance um, was he with the Falcon? I, I I can't remember. He went to the Falcons maybe uh, briefly with with the the behemoth receiving crew that they had, right? right. All the tall the tall big guys. But uh, he had one pretty decent season. I think it was twenty nineteen in Zach Taylor's uh, first year as head coach. Never really materialized to other starting opportunities for him. But uh, he is now headed to the CFL. Yeah. So it's the Falcons who signed him in the offseason of 2022 and then the Eagles picked him up on the practice squad for the for that season and then he lasted there for I think most of it and then it was the Arizona Cardinals who signed him to a futures deal in 2023 but he was released in last summer so he's technically been out of the NFL for how many months is that like nine months but he hasn't played yeah. an NFL game since the 2021 season with the Bengals so yeah um wherever you can get an opportunity, man. Um, I also don't know which cal- which team that is in the CFL. I can't think of the nickname off the top of my head, but he was he was definitely fun in those preseason games and training camp, and, you know, I hope he has some success up there too. Yeah, he, I mean, his catch, catch radius, size, all of that provided a lot of different mismatches, but, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, downfield speed and that sort of thing. Separation was a little bit of an issue for him, but, hey, made it a lot farther than a lot of other players – with the Bengals or other teams so um congratulations to him for landing a new gig as well but that's kind of some of the happenings with 
current slash past Bengals. I mean, McCarron was kind of a current Bengal, right? And a past one. He kind of fit both categories. And then Auden Tate and, of course, the news with the coaching change for the Bengals. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Um, we, we teased this a little bit when we started, and everybody in the world now knows, whether they like it, love it, or hate it, that the Chiefs are now, and Patrick Mahomes, a three-time Super Bowl champion. So we kind of started to think, here we go. All right. Well, the Chiefs are champions once again, and they are building a dynasty. You know, how long it'll last, we'll see. How much longer Travis Kelsey's going to play in the NFL. He's been in the league for a little while. We will see. Um, Mahomes is still pretty pretty young, so you kind of feel like this is building the building of something pretty big. I, I, so there are lessons for the Bengals to, to take from what the Chiefs did this year, uh, and you and I will, will talk about that in just a second, but I kind of, just to preface the conversation, John, I, I kind of found found it weird because I didn't think talent-wise and what we saw toward, towards the middle and later half of the year from this Kansas City Chiefs team was really that impressive from a talent standpoint and from how they were winning games as comparative to what they did the prior years and the teams that went up against the Bengals and how they were how they were winning in, in those seasons. So this year, it's just really, they turned it on at the right time in the postseason. Um, still wasn't the prettiest brand of football, but I mean, got it done, got it done. And through not having Tyreek Hill once again, and through uh, all kinds of different adversity, Kelsey yelling at Andy Reid on the sideline of the Super Bowl <laughs> and all kinds of different things, they got it done again. So that's you know kind of my initial takeaway of man even when it's not even the prettiest brand of football or the type of football we maybe have overall become accustomed to from the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes they still won another Super Bowl it helps having and again I I, I have to stop myself because I'm, I'm about to say stuff that like is gonna appear like I'm discrediting Mahomes I'm absolutely not he's the best quarterback in the league he's on track to being the goat it helps when you have arguably the best defense coordinator in the league, obviously a Hall of Fame offensive play caller in Andy Reid and Steve Spagnuolo being the defensive coordinator. And I think the the perception of the Chiefs not being as talented is mainly surrounded by it's just Rasheed Rice and an older version of Travis Kelsey out there catching footballs from Patrick Mahomes. There's not 
you know, Tyreek Hill running down the seams, not even Juju Smith-Schuster, who happened to be a great addition last year and helped them win the Super Bowl. Outside of Rice, it was just underwhelming after underwhelming after underwhelming player as an actual wide receiver. And I think with a team that's led by, you know, a future Hall of Fame quarterback in Mahomes, not having that upper tier receiving talent can kind of be looked at as like, oh, this team is very vulnerable. When in reality, they're still incredibly built in the trenches on both the offensive line and defensive line. And defensively, they're just really sound. And they had a really well-built secondary. Again, with maybe not like a superstar, but Legereus Sneed absolutely deserves credit for being one of the more physical and, and you know well-rounded cornerbacks in the NFL. And they just they had a really good defensive performance against a really good San Francisco 49ers offense. And that was arguably the biggest reason why they won that game. So I think watching that game and looking at who the Chiefs are now, it's two things that stand out because the Bengals already have a quarterback that can match up with, with Mahomes. They already have, you know, a very elite receiving talent, even if some changes happen with Tyler Boyd and maybe even T. Higgins. But it's getting the trenches right and getting the draft right every single year because the, you look at the Chiefs roster, and even if they aren't jam-packed with talent, they've still hit on guys all throughout the draft. Legereus Snead was a fourth-round pick. Trey Smith was a sixth-round pick. Obviously, Creed, Creed Humphrey not taking Jackson Carmen maybe in the second round. Isaiah Pacheco was a seventh-round pick. Leo Chanel, Super Bowl hero, he was a third-round pick. They completely knocked the first round out of the park in 2022 with Trent McDuffie and George Karloftis. And even last year, they had Rasheed Rice, who was an amazing rookie for them as a second-round pick. The Chiefs have done this the right way because when you pay Mahomes, you know, a billion dollars, whatever it is, you're not going to be able to have free agent spending sprees every single year. You need to make the draft count. And the Bengals, unfortunately, haven't been able to do anything past like round three over the past, I don't know, eight years or something like that. It's crazy. So when we when we look at, you know, what are the things the Bengals need to do? You talked about trenches. Obviously, you talked about drafting well and hitting on specific picks that not only are, you know, not not hitting on the luxury picks per se, but hitting on the picks that really fit your system, hitting on the on the picks that, you know, net you high value. You know, you can't miss on your second round picks and you can't miss on some of these some of these players that you've referenced. So, yes, that is. And, and we're not putting these necessarily, at least I'm not putting them in order necessarily of this is the to do list to, to keep up with the Chiefs. But Ironman XRP here lays out a question, you know, if we're, if we, the Bengals, are off to a slow start again offensively, making it like the third or fourth straight season. What are the changes you feel the need to be made? I'm not going to answer the latter part of this question necessarily. Um, we know that the slow start, you know, the Bengals were, you know, mediocre to kind of start a little bit. The 21 season when they went to the Super Bowl, they started off 0-2 when they made the AFC Championship the following year. And then, of course, Burrow not being healthy this last year, they started off slow again this past year. You look at the Chiefs. We just talked about, or I just did, the, the the stumbles at the end of the year where you're going, man, what happened to this team towards the middle and end of this season? Um, you know, kind of good. They, they made it through the playoffs and they made it through the playoffs on the road, but not the prettiest brand of football throughout, you know, that this latter part of the season. How did they start off the season, John? They were like six and one. And uh, so you're able to weather storms later in the season you want to be playing your best football towards the end of the year and you want to you want to you know have a nice push going into the postseason and through the postseason but if there's going to be ebbs and flows to your season there are going to be problems that pop up in your season and the Bengals can't do the 0-2 thing I mean this this season as great of a run that the Bengals made of it without Joe Burrow and Jake Browning playing pretty well towards the end of the the year that beginning stretch and going 0-2 against the Browns and the Ravens to start your season 
that's the kind of thing that that spells doom for a season going forward. Yes, it's two games. Yes, it's only two weeks of the season. It's the first two weeks, but you can't lose two division games back to back to start your season. And you can't start 0-2. You can't do these things that the Bengals have really done. They've overcome them in two of the three seasons. But when you look at the Chiefs, you gotta start fast. And the and the Chiefs lost the very first game of the season to the Lions, who ended up making the NFC championship game. So that loss didn't look so bad, but they ended up rattling off six wins in a row. They lose to Denver and then they win another couple of games. So that, that that beginning middle of their schedule, they positioned themselves very well so that if there were problems down the stretch, which there were, they were able to weather the storm and get through it. Yeah, 0-2 as a start is almost always a death sentence, I think, for just getting the top seed, which is obviously how the Chiefs have been able to you know accumulate all these Super Bowl and playoff victories over the years. This was the first time that they weren't. And it didn't matter because they went to Buffalo and beat the Bills and they went to Baltimore and beat the Ravens. But like they've historically been able to get off to a nice start and that provides a cushion that if you have a mid-season or late-season slump, you at least start it off to a point where everyone is catching up to you at that point. And if you, so long as you enter January, at least off the heels, like one or two good performances and you're not just completely wallowing away and forgetting how to play football, like you're typically going to be in good shape. And I think that's what happened with the Chiefs this year. They had that mid to late season lull, the traditional or annual lack of confidence, and like, oh, is this the Chiefs' you no know, time to like really falter? And of course, they answered the bell and proved why that they are still the best team in the NFL. So with the Bengals, obviously, I think it's better, like you said, to start slow and end great as as opposed to the alternative, but. I think it is very rare for like being what the Ravens were this year, where they just had no real stretch where they looked like they were very vulnerable. They just kept up consistency over like the course of 18 weeks, and of course they entered the playoffs as the number one seed. That's a very rare sign of like a, a really well-rounded team that doesn't have like these mid-season struggles. You're going to have pretty much every team is going to have that part of the season where things are just not working. You really have to find yourself. Unfortunately for the Bengals, it just happened at a point in the past couple of years where it, they just took themselves out of the number one seed contention right out the gate. The other element that I saw, and granted I was you know doing some cooking and different things uh, when I was when I was playing, so I didn't watch every single minute of this thing, but I played, paid pretty close attention to what was going on. The other element that we've talked about this with the Bengals just in general, not necessarily in keeping up with the Chiefs type of thing, but the explosiveness, the speed, the lack of, you know, maybe a, a little bit more of a lack of explosive plays this year as comparative to years prior. They, they were kind of almost a little feast or famine in that regard in 2021, right? It was like the big play or it was, a you know, a, a really bad drive type of thing. Um, they they kind of got a little bit more consistent in 22 and then quarterback issues, injuries, all that kind of stuff hit them this year. But one thing I noticed in this Super Bowl in particular, John, and, you know, a lot of people were saying, well, the Chiefs are more physical and they're running the football. And, yeah, there's part of that. Um, the trenches played a big part of it. But there was an element that Mahomes, I saw it a handful, yeah, the very last play to win the game, the the short pass plays, the dump off plays that become the big plays, the little passes to players, Pacheco, Hardman, all these players, little things where he's looking down, you know, Mahomes is looking downfield. He's looking for, you know, Kelsey's maybe covered that sort of thing. And what does he do? He gets a dump off play and the dump off play becomes a big play, not a three yard gain, not a four yard gain, but a, a play that nets a touchdown to win the game that gets a big first down, that sort of thing. The little plays that become big plays and to find the players to be able to net you a lot 
out of seemingly a little. Uh, and the Bengals have a lot of those players. Jamar Chase is excellent at making plays where you go, wow, that should have been that screen pass should have been nothing. And he got a first down of it. We've seen it. But I'm talking more other ancillary wide receivers, the running backs from the Cincinnati Bengals, making those short, easy plays for Burrow, becoming big plays where you go, okay, let's now we're in scoring position. Oh, there, you know, that I feel like is an element that the Bengals need to improve upon this year. And there are there are other facets to that, whether it's offensive line play, getting more speed, all that kind of stuff. But that in a as a whole is an area where I go, man, if the if Burrow was able to just easy dump off a play and it wasn't a predictable three yard dump off play, it becomes a 15 yard play. It becomes a big first down. That's an element that I think would just bring this offense to another level. And it's an element that Samaje Pirine took to Denver. Like he ended up being pretty productive in those exact situations. And obviously he provided a lot of value to the Bengals uh, over the past couple of years before he left this year. Obviously they look at what Chase Brown started to do for them at the end of the season. And they're just looking at that saying, yeah, like we're going to want, we're going to want to do more of that, especially yeah. at the start of the season. Um, also at tight end, just, I mean, Travis Kelsey's connection with Mahomes is very rare and it's been built over the course of, you know, half a dozen years now, but even if he's not like as athletic as he used to be, he still creates separation at the optimal time, and the ball is typically there right when it needs to be, and that allows him to get more yards after the catch. And once he gets going, it is kind of tough to bring down. On the flip side of it, though, because just watching that game, obviously the Chiefs are kind of anemic on offense, and kind of both teams are kind of struggling to just generate anything down the field. And Mahomes was rolling out to his left, I think it was on a play action, and there was a post route towards the other side of the field, and it ended up being a huge completion for Mahomes, but people still knocked him because the throw was kind of underthrown and it, it was into double coverage and the 49ers safety had no idea the ball was coming there. If he had just followed the play, he might have been able to pick it off. But I think what happened was the safety's thinking there's no way he's throwing this ball if he's rolling to the opposite side of the field and Mahomes just being Mahomes chucked it up because he has the, the power to get it down there. And I don't think Burrow can necessarily make that throw, even if it wasn't you know thrown to exactly where it should have been. I think there is a value to just giving your playmakers a chance down the field more often. And I think that's been something that Burrow's been a little bit hesitant to do maybe over the past year and a half when teams have been starting to play uh, more conservatively and keep those safeties back. He's just trying, obviously protecting the ball is important, but giving your guys a chance and just maybe catching the defense off guard, I think that's a value that guys like, you know, Mahomes and Allen have because they just have the arm strength to get it down there. But if Burrow decides to let it rip and he sees one-on-one -on -one coverage and he may be catching the safety off guard, I think there's also value to that too because I think more times than not, like I think a greater percentage of those throws can be completed, especially when you have guys like Jamar Chase and T. Higgins make the catch down the field. Right. Yeah. Um, and and obviously, like you said, those two names they have proven, and there there are some there are some times where Burrow has thrown an absolute dot to those guys where only they can catch it, and there are times where he kind of just tosses one up and yeah. says, "Remember the fourth down play in the AFC Championship game against the Chiefs to Jamar." Boom, comes down with it. Browning did it last year with T against the Vikings where you just kind of say, hey, here's the one. And he, you know, did the 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 pass around the pylon to get into the end zone type of thing. I, I Sometimes it works and it works well, especially with those guys uh, in the fold. And then, of course, John, the last one that I have, if you've got another one too, please feel free. But the last one, and it's perhaps the most obvious, get a tight end. Um, and, and, I mean, bo both teams in this in this game prove that. The Bengals have good ancillary weapons. I think they have a lot of twos and threes at that position group. Uh, well, they don't really have anyone uh, under contract, <laughs> right, at that group. But uh, assuming 
they could get back Drew Sample uh, at, a, at a reasonable uh, deal. Same with um, Tanner Hudson, who who ended up being, you know, a nice pass-catching weapon in this offense. And then, you know, Wilcox brings you some value on special teams and different things. But they have a lot of twos and threes in that position group. You need kind of the alpha dog, and you need a guy that can kind of change the offense. You don't want him overly eating into the touches for Jamar Chase and T. Higgins should he be back. But you see how the 49ers do it. Kittle still gets a ton of touches. Ayuk gets a ton of plays. Debo gets a ton of plays. Uh, CMC gets a ton of, of of plays. And then, you know, even with the lackluster wide receiver group as compared to others by with the Chiefs, they still get the ball often, as does Kelsey. So the Bengals need, whether it's by <laughs> – Trade, draft, whatever, I don't know. But they need to come up with a, a guy that is at least a viable, consistent threat in the passing game. Yeah, and, and someone who could also help you in the blocking facets of the game as well. But I, it is fairly obvious with these two teams sporting two of the best tight ends in the game. And it's not – I think it was credit to Matt Minnick who put out a tweet saying, you know, it's not really – hard to look at the teams who made it the farthest. And one of the correlations of that is that outstanding tight end play Laporta for the lions. And the two, I just mentioned, get yourself one of those and you might be set for a long time for the Bengals. And I mean, obviously like the, the trend is very clear that you need some type of above average weapon to add some more dynamicism to your offense. And the fact that the Bengals just haven't had anything close to that, Really, since right. Hayden Hurst and C.J. Uzama, that's important. But I also want to bring up, and, and Farrow, who is commenting right now, he actually brought up a good point about the Patrick Mahomes having a better offensive line. Disagree. This offensive line for the Chiefs in the Super Bowl was not good at all. Now, there's a lot of controversy about how the Chiefs haven't had a holding penalty called against them the holding, in three yeah. Super Bowls. Yeah. The production, however, indicates that the Chiefs' offensive line did not play well. And this was kind of expected, right? Because they don't have a good tackle. Donovan Smith and Jawan Taylor are not very good. They haven't been good all season. Jawan Taylor had his struggles with penalties. He's had his struggles with speed around the edge. The same can be applied to Donovan Smith. They had terrible tackle play in this game. Nick Bosa played well despite not uh, – I don't think – he either had one sack or just was was disappearing for most of the game. Creed Humphrey is obviously really good. Trey Smith is obviously really good. Joe Tini didn't play in this game, though, and his replacement, Nick Allegretti, gave up a sack and seven pressures. Like – Three of these guys had uh, pass blocking efficiencies under 96, according to Pro Football Focus. That's not very good performances. And it didn't matter, right? Because Mahomes still made the plays they need to make. And I think entering this offseason, when there's going to be a lot of controversy around the right tackle and just solidifying the offensive line, it's important that it doesn't have to be perfect. Obviously, it has to be better than when it has been in the past. But like the, the Chiefs show that they can make it work if they scheme around it, if they have a solid running game to kind of back off of it. So... Yeah, like you can win a Super Bowl without a great offensive line. The Chiefs didn't have one this year. That's a great point, and it also plays into my earlier comment about these short passes that turn into explosive plays. I think that was part, not every single one of them, but these pressures made Mahomes kind of you know dance around and just, uh, I'm going to put it out here, and those small plays became big plays. Uh, and and not, of, not all of it was by design. Some of it was because of some offensive line issues. I agree. I, I think it was a far from perfect offensive line. There are some outstanding players particularly when Tooney is in there and healthy. Um, there are some outstanding players, but as a, as a whole, you looked at it, and it, it's an imperfect unit. Uh, the Bengals need to, and hopefully this is where the new passing game coordinator addition on their staff comes into play. The Bengals need to do some different things on the offensive line and take some notes as to you know wh- what was successful towards the end of the year 
uh, in a lot of different respects. And they have to limit, and it's on Burrow too, but it, they have to limit the amount of hits that in sacks and everything the Burrow takes. They they just can't afford him to continue to be injured, miss time, that sort of thing. But those are some of the things that we feel the Bengals need to take some notes about with the Chiefs championship run. If you've got some others, put them in the chat or let us know in the comments of one of our channels afterward. We always love hearing from you and chatting with you on a variety of different platforms. If you like the video side of things, you're going to like the next segment we're going to get to because we got some video to show you. But if you like the video side of things, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and do so by clicking the show icon in the bottom right corner of this show screen under, underneath the Cincy Jungle icon on John's side of the screen there. Click that. Click the subscribe button to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Click the bell to be notified when new content is available and when we go live on the channel. And give us a thumbs up on our video as well. We appreciate that. Helps the channel out. And, of course, you can also catch the live stream on the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. We also stream to Twitter and X, as I mentioned earlier, through a variety of different accounts, so catch it there. And if you are more of an audiophile and like to listen to the audio side of things, that's cool, too. You can get the show through the Cincy Jungle podcast channel, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, all of those. We should be there. If we're not, if you check one of those and we're not for some reason, let us know because we will then have beef with one of those platforms because we should be there. But uh, subscribe to the Stacey Jungle Podcast channel through your favorite audio streamer and give us a review, hopefully a five-star one, if you like what we are doing, if you like what Bengal Jim, talking football with Bengal Jim and friends, if you like what he's doing, the coach Matt Minnick with Coach Speak and Chalk Talk, and of course, being out with Jason and Kevin, whose videos you can also check out on our YouTube channel as well. They just put one out, uh, I think, yesterday. So go check that one out too. Well, we've been doing some free agent profiles, some draft profiles. We're, we're kind of tis the season. Last week, we did a free agent one. John did a great job in a write-up on A to Z Sports on Geno Stone, a guy who's kind of growing in popularity amongst the Bengals masses as a free agent acquisition. Take one from your one of your biggest rivals, add to your defense, and supplement things, and hopefully – uh, improve upon some things there. This week, we're looking at the other side of the ball and on a younger incoming player, a draft profile in one of my favorites in this entire class. One of my absolute favorite players. Yes, he's a Pac-12 guy. Yes, he's a Pac-12 guy, John Sheeran. But he is in a position the Bengals potentially need. He brings a tenacity. He brings a, a physicality that is just... Has AFC North written all over it. A little bit of a question on if he will be there by the time the Bengals pick, but uh, and and maybe some just some overall polishing and obviously maturity growth that sort of thing as he goes to the NFL. But the reason, aside from him being one of my favorite favorite guys in this draft, the reason we went this route, John, is because uh, he was recently tabbed by Field Yates of ESPN as the pick at number 18 by the Cincinnati Bengals, one of the few that seem to have him be able to be there for them. And that would be Oregon State offensive tackle, right tackle, Taliese Fuaga. And we've got a video here for you um, with him, some highlighting some of his accolades and that sort of thing. I love this guy. Love this guy. He was a captain last year. Um, big, big dude, you know, 
weight kind of fluctuates depending on the source that you cite. Anywhere from 325 to 335, he's played at. Um, he's 6'6 and just mean uh, at, at the point of attack. 6'6, I put 334 because that's one of the ones. He's a redshirt junior, so not a true senior, not overly up there in age. He's from Tacoma, Washington. Uh, and there are some similarities to Panay Sewell. Sewell was a little bit more of a finished product, I think. Uh, to to him who you know and he played at Oregon obviously and he has become one of the the best offensive linemen in football 2023 first team all-american was Fuaga 22 and 23 first team all pack 12 he was one of the best players and most talked about players in the senior bowl who are now beginning to allow some non-seniors coming into the draft to to participate like I said, 2023 team captain. Look at this on the rush offensive averages, John. 167.1 yards in a game and two touchdowns on the ground in the game. And I know for a long time, I know this is a pass first team with, with Burrow and all the weapons, but you look at that and you go, man, if they could bring some semblance of that balance to the right side, we like Jonah Williams, nice transition to the right tackle, but if that doesn't work out in keeping him long-term, this is a guy who steps in and you have two absolute mammoths at both tackle positions in uh, on your offensive line. Here he is right here. Look at him just take out the guy at the second level. And, oh, let me just bury you one more time. We could look at these again. Just bring a big play here. Here he is, top of your screen, right tackle. Look at him, pull out, take this guy just completely out of the play. And, again, just on him. Uh, and then here he is, courtesy of the Senior Bowl. And do you notice a theme? And we'll go back to that. Do you notice a theme of every single one of those uh, one of those shots, John? It's guy is his guy is just planted to the ground. Here he is. That guy just loses his feeding. Boom, done. And here's the next one where again against Washington. Here he's going to pull up and just take this guy off the edge, just completely out of the play. See you later. And you are just driven to the ground. And here he is in pass pro senior bowl taking the guy to the ground there once again that's the theme he gets he gets his hands on you he gets in into your pads and that's a guy that just creates a ton of trouble for you as a defender physical 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 nasty and one of the things he said in a senior bowl interview that is he feels is one of his business uh, biggest strengths is um, balance and and balance at the point of attack and whatnot. And so that is the thing where I think the Bengals have picked athletes. When you look at Cedric Abwehi and a guy who had injury issues and never materialized into anything uh, for the Bengals, they, they took an athletic guy and Jake Fisher. That also blew up in their face, that same draft. And then, you know, you, you get the kind of the bigger guy in Orlando Brown, who's who's, you know, really, really big and mammoth and strong and all that kind of stuff. This guy just is is an all around all around player. I don't know that he's going to make it to eighteen as the Bengals get on the clock. But if I'm the Bengals, you lose Jonah Williams in this in this free agency period. You start to see he's not Fuaga's probably not going to be the first offensive tackle taken in this draft, but he will be very very high offense an offensive lineman high taken in this draft. I, I think you, you try and trade up a few spots if he's there. If, if you think he's not going to get past thirteen or fourteen, and you're the Bengals. I think you make a move to get up this guy. That's how much I like this guy and how much I, I think as much as I have harped on be physical in the AFC North, match the physicality of the Steelers, match the physicality of the Ravens and the Browns. This is a guy who does that and, and does so on a, on a big, big level. I would love 
this guy as a Cincinnati Bengals right tackle? I think he makes a lot of sense for what they value at this point in offensive linemen. Uh, two really consistent years of production, starting at right tackle, by the way. Like he was moving from left to right. He hasn't been inside. He's only been at that spot, which seems to be a theme for a lot of these tackles. I think um, Amarius Mims is kind of the same way with Georgia, even though he's got like uh, less experience. But Mims is going to be a guy that he's competing with in terms of who gets off the board first. Dane Brugler recently had him, I think, ranked 16th in his top 100, like the fourth tackle behind like the top guys, um, and I think another one who's kind of been rising up a little bit. So he's in about that range where he should be in the conversation. Um, I think he's ultimately going to be like the poster child this year though of is he a tackle or is he a guard and that was a note that Brugler mentioned like teams are kind of split on that um I want to read his measurables from the senior bowl and compare him to an NFL player that everyone should already know so Fuaga measured in at 6'6 332 uh 10 and 10 and a quarter inch hands and 33 and 3 eighths inch arms and this other player who has only been a guard in the NFL is 6'5 325, uh, 33 and three quarters inch arm length, 10 and three eighths hands. And also the wingspans are about 82 inches. The guy I just mentioned and read off was Quinton Nelson. Now, Quinton Nelson was a phenomenal athlete out of Notre Dame, which I think is going to be the other factor here as well. If Uaga tests well, specifically with his agility and his three cone and short shuttle, and if he's explosive, I think that'll give teams like the Bengals a lot more confidence that he can survive on the outside in the NFL. If he tests like a middling athlete, I think not only does that impact where he plays in the NFL, yeah. but also could impact where he goes in the draft overall. Typically, like from what I've learned about the Bengals over the years, like 34 inch, like Jonah Williams, I think was an exception to the to the rule at tackle. Um, I think for the most part, guys who are that big with 33 inch arms, they typically get listed as a guard for them. Lel Collins was an example. Like coming out of college, I remember they had him as a guard, but obviously once he proved he could play tackle in the NFL, they played him at tackle. And again, Jonah Williams was the 11th overall pick with 33 inch arms, and they obviously had him as not only a tackle, but a left tackle. So Fuaga could definitely be a tackle in their mind. I think though, with the uncertainty with around the league of where they see him, the combine is going to be huge for him. And if he tests well, that's good news and bad news for the Bengals because obviously it's good news that they they get a, a high end athlete who's a phenomenal run blocker. But bad news in the sense that he might be a top sixteen pick at that point. If he doesn't test well, then it's a question of where does he belong in the NFL? Can he survive on the outside against some of the elite, the elite pass rushers where he didn't really have to face that many in Oregon State? A lot of questions with him, but obviously, like we just saw a lot of fun to watch him run block. And that's going to be obviously an incredible important thing for the Bengals to kind of capture this year. Right. And if he doesn't test well, that's, that's probably, that probably spells him not being a tackle, uh, at least not maybe for the Bengals and the, the arm length is a bit of, uh, you know, an issue there. And yeah, I mean, there's, there are questions about that. Let's say the Bengals draft him and they have an idea for him at guard, would that be a right guard? And you, you you shuffle around Alex Kappa, who's been a right guard. Do you try him at left guard? This is where I start then to say, you know, if you if you are the Bengals and you do not view him as a tackle at the next level, I get a little leery because we've seen the whole you know Jackson Carmen and uh, you know remember Stacy Andrews was a guy and it, it, it was tackle and then it was guard and then it was and there's never a true footing or a true fit so that's where I get a little leery that if the Bengals are kind of like well he could be guard or he could be tackle then I almost would say maybe you want to stay away um, because we there's a track record there of the Bengals 
experimenting with guys, tackle, guard, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, oh, maybe you can play both, but it's not shown to be played playing both at really a high, high level. I think, again, if he tests well and if he can show the propensity to get past a little bit of the shorter arms as a tackle, then you you, you draft him there and you, you roll the dice as, as you see fit there. Um, but I think, to your point, if teams it, it, like the Bengals view him as a potential guard, I would almost just say, all right, let's let's look for somebody with with longer arms who's a true tackle because we can't keep doing this. Positional flexibility is great, and having you know maximizing your roster spots is is definitely great, but I, I, you can't keep doing this. Well, one foot in, one foot out type of thing. Find the right fit and make it work. And I think a, a player in his position, knowing what teams are probably thinking, like I'm sure his agents had this conversation. I'm sure his training coaches have had these conversations as well. I'm not sure if he repped any other position aside from right tackle at the senior bowl, but I would imagine when he works out for some of these teams or his pro day, he's going to take some reps at guard just to see if he can do that. Because again, there's no tape on him doing that. But if teams look at his size and athletic profile and they look at his strengths and weaknesses, and if they determine you're probably best being a guard. I'm sure he's going to put in the work, and I'm sure that's going to you know, allow the Bengals to be more comfortable if that's the plan. I think replacing Cordo Volson at left guard would be like a clear and obvious choice here Like if they don't see him as tackle, and they would give him a clear upgrade at that spot if he's willing to you know, transition there. But I'm with you. Like if, if they decide he's a guard, keep him at guard. If they decide he's a tackle, keep him at tackle. They could use one or the other right now. They obviously need a right tackle a little bit more because they don't have one, a starter, at least under contract. But yeah, it's it's really going to come down to how he moves at the combine, and I think if he doesn't test well, I, I I would honestly kind of prefer the Bengals to maybe stay away because I think they need more athletes rather than you know just guys who can't yeah. really move that well yeah. because I think pass Middling. protection is still yeah. pass protection is still going to be the most important thing to look for specifically at tackle, and yeah, it, it's really going to come down to how he moves. But I'm excited to see it because this is a phenomenal tackle class, and he's right there in the middle. And yeah, like, like again, I, I don't want to take away anything from his power and his ability to move people as a run blocker because again, they they do need that as well. Yeah, and that's where some of the most fun tape comes from. And I I think there's uh, you know with that you get well that means he's not a great pass protector. Not not necessarily true. Um, I think that's more of the weaker side of his game, but that's not that's not really true. But again, you look at the NFL level and and the potentially a little bit of shorter arms that sort of thing that's where you get a little leery again if he is considered a guard i think then you go well he should be there at 18 and then maybe even you know where's the value at that point how does he test that's always the question with a lot of these guys particularly when we look at the offensive line like you said the Bengals need more athlete athletic profiles high athletic profiles athletes on the line and and guys that can move so uh hopefully he can prove to do that but um, I, I, I just really, really like the guy. I, and, uh, there's, there's some fun tape out there and the good news is if the, the Bengals seemingly will have some form of a lot of options at right tackle, whether it is retaining Jonah Williams, whether it is getting one of these replacements or a vet replacement on a rental deal and a developmental guy, either, or, um, we'll see, we'll see. But Fuaga is one of my favorites in the class. Really, really like him and like him for the division, really. I mean, that's kind of my my thing. I, I just I think he fits the profile of the division. And who knows? Maybe he ends up being a, a good guard instead of a tackle. We'll see. He's, he's going to be uh, a fan favorite, though. Like, like yeah. that smile, though, like with his teeth. 
like like that that looks like just a, a jolly offensive lineman. Yeah, I, I I I get a little tired of two phrases being thrown around. One is within Bengals circles, and one is just in general on Twitter or X that he has that dog in him, um, or that of course the glass eaters <laughs> the glass eaters type of thing. But both of those, I kind of feel like this guy embodies that quite honestly. Um, as cliche as some of those things those sayings are, I, I, I just I see it with this guy. But we're gonna get on out of here and drop the mic with an exit, John. What you got for us, buddy? Um, I think we should mention uh, what happened. I believe it was Wednesday with the Kansas City Chiefs and their Super Bowl parade. What was just supposed to be just a phenomenal day for a lot of those people and fans. Ended up being pretty tragic. I believe it's been one confirmed casualty for a shooting that had nothing to do with like the parade. It was just a dispute between uh, a couple hooligans with guns. Um, I, but a lot of the people that were hurt or shot were actually children. I think the majority, the vast majority of those children are going to be fine. They've been in intensive care in the hospital. So um, obviously our thoughts are obviously with Kansas City. There was a knucklehead Chiefs fan who mentioned that the Bengals, I guess, didn't make a statement. I mean, it was like the, the Bills, the 49ers. Regardless if the team doesn't make a statement, there's obviously people all over the country, specifically with those fan bases, that kind of see what the situation is. And there's just there's nothing but, obviously, just the absolute best, hoping the best for everyone that was involved. And, yeah, maybe that wasn't the best time to kind of take a shot at a rival team. So I uh, hope everyone's yeah. okay, though. Yeah, uh, definitely echo all of those sentiments and you know it's always kind of a sobering sobering thought when you try to go either yourself or take a, your family or what have you to something that's supposed to be fun you know i mean you, you go back to the las vegas thing a, ha a handful of years ago as a country concert and uh this thing i mean it's, you're supposed to go do things that are normal life things and these horrendous acts occur and you know innocent bystanders get affected and hurt and all kinds of different things and you know, I mean, some of us have been personally touched by gun violence and whatnot, and it's it's not an easy topic to talk about. It's not an, definitely not an easy topic to endure, but uh, it's a sad reality that that occurs. And um, yeah, it's just I, I heard that, and quite honestly, I heard it. You know, I was wa watching a little bit of the you know the the parade and all that kind of stuff they were doing um, on TV, and then I heard about it like after, and I was like, oh my gosh, I just wasn't part of the first part of the parade that I had heard about. And of course you just go, uh, your heart aches and get upset and all kinds of myriad of emotions. But, uh, aside from that, even though the Bengals fans and chiefs fans have not been, you know, <laughs> on the best of terms of late, I, I hope that people, despite that tragic, tragic situation still found some form of enjoyment out of that because it is a special event and a special moment for a city and a fan base and um yeah sad sad stuff and hopefully hopefully everybody ends up being okay there but uh that's gonna wrap it up for us we got to a lot of different stuff some coaching news some player news we talked about the chiefs in a number of different respects including how the Bengals can keep up with the joneses in that respect and of course uh, we talked about Taliese Fuaga, the draft profile. So hope you enjoyed all of that. John, have yourself. You got big plans for the weekend, buddy? Are you doing anything that we should be knowing about? Or are you doing things that we should not be knowing, knowing about this weekend? Mm, my, my favorite types of things. Um, no, I think we're going to we're gonna hit up a pub, I think, later today. <laughs> um, and, yeah, we'll see where it goes from there. 
Nice. Nice. We'll have some fun. <laughs> Still a little early on my end to do that. Uh, so, but yeah, anyway, take care, everybody. Have a good, uh, holiday weekend, right? President's yeah. weekend. So have a good holiday weekend out there. Enjoy maybe some time off and some time with family and friends. We'll be back with a lot more on this show and on the Cincy Jungle podcast channel from our variety of shows that we have. Keep it to cincyjungle.com. Keep it to that side, A to Z sports that John is, uh, cranking out a lot of material covering the Bengals and AFC North there. Take care, everybody. Have a good weekend. Go support the Ken Anderson Alliance and show us proof. Take care.